Thank you for worshiping with us today. And uh, this is the day we remember the significance of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's the day that the entire city was stirred, and he went to prepare himself to sacrifice on Calvary for you and me. I want to revisit that moment in history. Matthew chapter 21, verse 6 says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. As we've been told this morning, Pastor Murray informed us about the the word Hosanna means to save or help now. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. If you study the word stirred, it's where we get our word earthquake. We know that it was a stunning moment for Jerusalem. And they all asked the question, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now I want you to picture that day. The crowd was celebrating the Messiah's entrance into the holy city. The people shouting Hosanna, expressing their appreciation for the Lord's presence, and they welcomed the king of the Jews by throwing their coats on the road, just wanting that donkey to step upon them, which is a sign of enormous humility, a statement that says, Lord, you can have my life, I'm yours, and this is what they were saying. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make it clear that Jesus was, this was the first time for him to enter the city, and it would be the last moments that he would share there. But in a few days, the Jews would turn upon Jesus, and they would shout, crucify him. Still, Jesus went forward anyway, knowing what was ahead. I marvel at his power and his love. Today, I want to encourage you to keep Jesus' example in the center of your heart as you plan and think about your future. Think about Jesus' example. In Luke's gospel, we see a most unusual conversation that takes place. The Pharisees now are coming to Jesus and they're saying to him, we need you to flee from the city. We don't want you to stay here. Herod is going to kill you. So we see in Luke chapter 13, verse 31, at that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. I want you to think about what Jesus said to him. He said, you go tell that fox, speaking of Herod, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. Herod, this wicked despot leader, is seeking to kill you, Jesus. Jesus said, that's not what's on my mind. You go tell that tin pot guy that I'm coming to town anyway, and I'm going to drive out demons, I'm going to heal the sick, and on the third day, if you examine the original language, my mission will be perfected. I will have laid my life down and finished the call of my Father to come to this earth. Thank God 
for Jesus' refusal to be intimidated by Herod or anyone else. So with that in mind, as the backdrop for this Palm Sunday celebration, how shall you and I live in this confused and chaotic world we're living in today? I want to remind you of several things today from the Word. First of all, let's learn to keep our eye on the big picture. That's what Jesus did. He said, I'm going anyway. That's my mission, and I'll finish it. I'll finish my mission. Notice the example of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, verse 24 through 24. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God, now notice, in repentance and in faith towards our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. Notice that Paul's concern is not for himself, not for his flesh, not for what he feels, not for what he sees, but wanting to complete what the Lord has called him to. So we see not only Jesus' example, but now we see mankind's example, one of the apostles, and now the broadcast message is being given to us. Let us take note of this. His great concern is finishing the race, sharing the good news of God's grace. Scholars believe that Paul was probably in his late 50s at this juncture. And there's a reminder here for all of us that we must be passionate about the right things. Be passionate about the important things, the right things. Many in our world are concerned about issues. We have the Saving the Whales group. We have the Recycling Plastic group. I'm not minimizing the importance of being a recycler. Um, we see the global warming people, that the most passionate thing is global warming. That's the most urgent thing on their mind. We have those that concern themselves with water, that water is the most important thing. And now the new thing is that the government's got to provide for you and me for the, all of our lives a living wage to come to us. And there's many that are very passionate about such things. Some of these items may be important and viable issues to consider or to think about, but none can take the place of the seriousness of living for the right things. Now, please note with me that Paul, the apostle, is preparing to leave the family of elders that he has served in the city of Ephesus as he built that great church there. And he's providing a passionate declaration and sharing keen insight about how to stay focused. In verse 21, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, please note, the gospel is not, not for just a select few, it's for everyone. It's for your neighbor, it's for your mother, it's for your brother, it's for your co-worker, it's for everybody. They must turn to God 
They must turn to God in repentance and have faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this reminds us that you're not saved by being a good person. The average person in America thinks they're going to heaven. Did you know that? An overwhelming majority of people think because they are consider themselves moral and, and good people. You can't get to heaven by being a good moral person. The only thing that qualifies us to get to heaven is what he says right here. Repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus. That's what's needed to get to heaven. These are the giant words of the gospel today. Repentance is our response, our human response to the authority of the Lord. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn to the Lord. And so we want to turn from our way and turn to his way. Acts 20 verse 24. Then he says, so I don't consider my life worth anything to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task for which Jesus has given me. You go, well, that's, a, that's really remarkable that he's that compassionate about that. What about you? What about me? We must be passionate about the right things. Notice with me that cost was not a factor for the Apostle Paul. So let's be passionate about the right things. But in addition, we must be purposeful about the right destination. Which place have you got your attention focused on today? The things around us or the things of heaven? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul further describes and defines the big picture focus. 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But here's where you and I figure, factor in, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's us. I hope that's you. I hope in the quest for fulfillment in life, you've made it your goal to keep your eye on the right destination. So we see the big picture described and defined. Let us ever keep our lives focused on the authority of Jesus and eternity with him. You and I have 70, 80, 90 years Keep eating the bran. It may go up a little bit. Don't eat anything that tastes good. It's no good for you. If we live 80, 90 years, how long will we be in eternity? The songwriter said, when we've been there 10,000 years, can you imagine how brief our life is compared to how long that's why we must be purposeful about the right destination. How important is God's destination on your heart today? So keep your eye on the big picture. But notice, secondly, we must be prepared for turbulence. Be prepared for turbulence. Many people, you know, you read the little fairy tale to your child, and they all lived... Of course, it's just not true. There's going to be cancer. There's going to be an untimely death. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be shortage. There's going to be stuff that can happen. I didn't say it will happen. It said it, I said it can happen. Yeah. 
Now notice, the enemy of your soul plans to interrupt your journey. I'm speaking to everyone. He typically will do it through unexpected trouble or challenges that you did not anticipate. And these will usually rock your emotions. Jesus, remember what he told Simon Peter? Simon, he said, Simon, Simon. Said it twice. In other words, that reminds you, this is urgent, man. Simon, the devil has decided to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would fail not. And when you're strengthened, you go minister to your brothers. How can one prepare for turbulence ahead? Let me give you a couple things to think about. Focus on kingdom priorities. Now, most of the people you and I will know or meet in this day are only living for now. I watched this guy, you know, puffing, and one after the other puffing, and I'm thinking, does he think about tomorrow when he's doing that? Is there any way that the alcoholic is thinking about tomorrow? Is there any way that the person popping the pills is thinking about tomorrow? No, they're not. They're thinking about now. Think about some of the great structures in the world. Towers in Kuala Lumpur. Magnificent, magnificent. The Petronas Towers in Malaysia. Or the tallest building in the world today, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, it's 209 stories tall, 2,717 feet tall, the tallest structure known to mankind. Or the John Hancock Building. I'm a little partial to Chicago, having grown up there. By the way, it is opening day this week, and the Cubs have not lost one game yet, so let's go. Let's go, Cubs. This is a 100-story building with the fastest elevator in the world in it. Or the Great Pyramids of Giza, over 4,000 years old. I read uh, several days ago that in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, there's a building under construction now that would be 167 stories tall when it's completed. There's a quest to build bigger and better, stronger, But what does God say about human construction and things that we could put our energies into? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we see that main pillar of faith back before us. Then he amplifies what he said that makes it so urgent that we keep in turbulence our focus. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the elements, you know what the word elements means? The works of men. The elements will be destroyed by fire. All of those buildings. Can you imagine all of the houses, all of the great efforts of mankind, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. If you're a scholar of the Greek, you'll know that what that means, it, it says it will be burned to the ground, everything. Since then, 
verse 11, everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people? Put your name in there. Ought Scott ought to be. What kind of person should he be? What kind of individual in all holy com- conversation and godliness? Verse 11 tells me. God's word reminds us that he doesn't want anyone to perish. Now notice with me, the heavens will disappear. He's not referring to the third heaven where God dwells or where heaven is, where you and I will go by, by the grace of God when our life here ends or when Jesus comes. But it's that atmospheric heaven that's above us. And all of that, he said, is going to disappear. Verse 10 said there's going to be a roar. If you look into that word roar, it means a hissing or a sizzling sound. Can you imagine what that will be like? It will be destroyed, just like atoms that are completely dissolved or commanded to fall apart. It will just, boom, God will give the word and it will just completely fall apart. Let us not be attached. Here's the point. Let us not be attached to the world that is falling apart one day and there's nothing left. We're here to do trading, to do business, to do whatever we can to advance the kingdom of God. We are in the world, but we are not of the world, the Bible reminds us. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, just this week, taxes, we're told, are going to increase under the new administration on businesses, on wealthy individuals, and it's going to shake our nation in order to pay for the green agenda, we're told. Incredible, epic increases in immigration at the border. Christian people love legal immigrants in every country, but those that do it a different way, we understand that's not the way that it's ordained. Every person to be vaccinated, we're told. I listened to a podcast the other day where everyone in Israel is now having to have vaccination. Otherwise, you can't buy anything in a store. You can't sell anything in the store. You can't go to school. Just amazing things going on. Franklin Graham this week said that he thinks that if Jesus was living on the earth, he would be vaccinated himself. Well, let me just tell you something. I appreciate the work that Franklin Graham's doing, but that holy son of God doesn't need any help in his veins from anybody or any organization, any medical entity to give him purity to protect and so forth. He's peerless and powerful in his own skin. So when you hear people saying, even Jesus would take it, you go, "Mm." you and I live... If all we live for is homes and gardens and cars and businesses and better income and so forth, you and I will walk in great disappointment, not only now, but in the world to come. So let's focus on kingdom priorities. Let's learn to influence people for Jesus. Win people for Christ. Invest in God's kingdom. A moment ago, in this part of the service, I had the privilege of putting seed into the hands of the living God to help build his kingdom. What an honor. What a great privilege. 
to be a partner with God as he works in the world today. Involve yourself in God's work. Be a participant. Make a difference in the local church here in our community. And let's increase our appreciation for God's holy, inerrant word. I marvel at God's word. Every day it's an amazing journey to think what he has put in and released. Focus on kingdom priorities. But as I close today, let's learn to focus on kingdom power. Power. Peter said, what kind of person ought you to be? That's a probing question. What kind of person should you and I be? He provides the answer in the 13th verse. He says, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Everything's going to get crashed. Everything's going to burn. But we are looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, notice what he said, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. What a simple truth. Make every effort to walk in kingdom power by making sure you're clean. Not talking about taking a bath. That's pretty good information. You'll be happy to know I did that this morning. God's supreme day is verse 12 when God said he will rule supremely again over all the earth. No person, not one person, not one senator, not one congressman, not one Supreme Court justice can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're, we have resolution that we're dealing with to, to contain your power. Let me just tell you something. Those people will be made an ink spot just like that. May God help us. The authority of God is always on display. You know, if you put your finger in a light socket, you'll find out about power real quick. You don't have to do that. You just know it's there. Let me, co- uh, let me conclude by telling you the story. Adora M. Judson was born in 1788. He was one of America's first missionaries. At 25, he wanted to go to India. That was his burden. He and his wife shared the burden to make a difference in that, in that great land of India. But when he got there, he was not welcomed. They spit upon him. They rebuked him. They stole from him. And in short order, the missionary and his wife were chased out and ended up in Myanmar, which is today uh, Burma, formerly Burma. Burma is in between Thailand, Cambodia, and that, in that general area. Well, what happened in Burma? It was six years before Judson had his first convert. Six years of planting. Sometimes we grow weary because we sent six letters to a loved one and didn't get a response. Or we, or we, we pressed forward and tried to 
stir someone to, to turn their heart to Christ and we gave up after several tries. In those years, Judson buried his eight-month-old baby in the nation of Burma. By 1822, he had 10 members in the church. In, 1980, in 1824, Judson was arrested for his faith and put in prison for 21 months. When he came out of prison, he and Mrs. Judson had their second child. It was a girl. The next year, Judson's wife passed away, and also the little baby. He buried all of his family members in the nation of Burma. He was 39 years old when that happened. Some years later, Judson died coming back to America on a cruise ship. Not like we would talk about a cruise ship. It was a freighter. 62 years of age, he died. My, my question is, was he a failure? Was he the kind of person who didn't achieve any greatness? Was there no fruit for a life lived in that manner? Let me answer the question. Some years ago, Bonnie and I were invited to uh, Myanmar to preach the General Council for the Assemblies of God in the city of Rangoon. While they're preaching for Dr. Mayo Chit, who is no longer, he's retired now, he told us, he told Bonnie and I this story. Dr. Chit said, I am the great, great grandson of the second convert of missionary Adoniram Judson. He's the great-great-grandson of the second convert. Well, today, if you were to go to the nation of Burma, you would see that we have over 1,200 Assemblies of God churches there, and they are thriving. They're going powerfully. Even in the midst of tremendous upheaval in the nation, I want to remind you about what one person's faithfulness in a land where it doesn't seem like there's any traction. It seems like nothing is happening. Look at the results of the faithfulness of one who went. I just want to remind you, God will honor your heart, your faithfulness. Let's keep the big picture in our mind. We're not here forever, friends. We're going to a land that is fairer than day. We're going to a city that the Creator paves the streets with gold. There'll be no sickness, no disease. You'll never hear the word cancer there. You'll never, un you'll never see anyone limping or a cane. You'll never have any tears. You'll never see any, I'm headed to that city like you. Today we have the privilege to bring as many as we can with us. Don't live for you. Live for the big picture. In eternity, souls will come and say, thank you for helping spread the gospel. Thank you for being a missions-minded person. Thank you for what you gave. I'm here because I heard the message. What a great privilege. Judson had said these words, and I quote, 
I will not leave Burma until the cross of Christ is lifted high over the nation. You can see that his mission was accomplished. He's no different than you and me. We have a mission to do. Let's be all in. All in for Jesus. Would you stand with me on this Palm Sunday, Sunday celebration? Jesus, Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for setting your face like a flint. You even in the garden pleaded, if it's possible, let this cup, let this plan that you have for me, given, let, let it just go away, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid. Thank you, Lord, for telling Herod what you told him. Thank you that you were not intimidated by the reports. You were not intimidated, and Paul was not intimidated either, and neither should we this morning be troubled by a government overreach that tells us it's not proper for us to read the Word, to declare the Word, even to bring a Bible to school. Oh, Lord, we refuse to be intimidated. We are going forward in faith and total confidence that that day is coming, and when it comes, we do not want to be ashamed. Today, we ask you to cleanse us afresh. Cleanse us, oh God, from anything that defiles, any attitude, any opinion, any wayward manner that we're living in that grieves the Holy Spirit. We welcome, Lord Jesus, the simple path of repentance. We say, Lord, we turn to you this morning. We ask you, Lord, to keep our attention ever turned towards you, Lord Jesus. And we display faith towards the Lord Jesus. We, co we have confidence that you who started a good work in us will perform it un completely until the day of Christ Jesus. So therefore, we're not weakened in faith. We're not wearied. We're not worried. We are welcoming the touch of your presence and power in an increased manner so that we may walk with you in power and strength and stability and might. Help us, Lord. Touch us all. Touch us mightily with your presence this morning, and we pledge our loyalty and our love to you in a fresh way today.